What happens to us after we die? Do we cease to exist? Or do we live on? This may be the biggest question that mankind has ever asked, as well as what this podcast is about. In this show, we will examine past life memories, speak with professional hypnotherapists, astral projection practitioners, psychics, and much more. All in an attempt to decipher this riddle. So welcome to the puzzle. Welcome to the regression session. back to the regression session my name is ian and welcome to my new baby that we just had last week um i've really been enjoying having her and she's actually the reason that this episode is a little bit late so thank you all for your patience and thank you all for the well wishes those of you that reached out to me in this episode we're going to hear from marilyn elliott and Marilyn is actually the host of the podcast, Reincarnation, Past Lives Revisited. What she does in her podcast is she lays out um, documented cases of reincarnation and goes through them step by step and lays out all the evidence and the stories and just kind of picks them apart and um, just lays them out. So he- definitely head on over to her show after this episode and check her out if you're interested in finding like evidence-based reincarnation stories head on over to my facebook or my twitter so that you can get show updates and now that my baby is born and things are starting to calm down and we're starting to get into a little bit more of a routine um, i'm going to start trying to post some more content there some bonus content maybe some collaborations with other podcasts and things like that so head on over there it's the regression session podcast on facebook and at regression session on twitter links in the description there's also going to be links to Marilyn's podcast in the description as well definitely check her out like i said now that all that's taken care of here's my conversation with Marilyn. hey Marilyn, thanks for coming on to the show Hi, Ian. Thanks very much for having me. I really appreciate it. This is my first time being on the other side of the microphone. It is a really different feeling. To be <laughs> it honest is. with you, it's almost like intimidating but relaxing at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's quite interesting. It'll give me a whole new perspective for my uh, interviewees. So it might make me a little kinder on them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wonderful. Well, before we get going in, into whatever we're going to talk about, because I don't actually know. Um, if you don't mind just introducing yourself to my audience, um, whatever you're comfortable with talking about, like your background beliefs, like what kind of led you up to the point of starting the podcast and, and talking about all this, this awesome stuff that you're doing? Well, I actually grew up in a small country town called, well, it's not really small, but it's called Ballarat, which is about 100K or I think it's about 100 or 70, 70 miles, I think it is from Melbourne. Um, and 
in Ballarat, you didn't really come across reincarnation at all. It was, I grew up as in a Methodist family and it was not even on the table. It was never even talked about. And there used to be this um, great magazine that I used to love called the Australasian Post, which was this really weird eclectic magazine that sort of spoke about things like it could have a range from opera to cricket to UFOs to serial killers, and it covered just anything. And one day I was reading it, and the case of the Pollock twins was covered in the in the episode. Now, for people who haven't heard of it, the Pollock twins were two little girls who were killed in England. Um, it was actually them and uh, the, the another little boy who was a friend that they were walking along the road. And a car mounted the pavement and struck them all and killed them instantly on the spot. And their father was really into reincarnation and he was convinced that his daughters were going to come back to him. They ended up having twins who actually then, the father then went on to claim that they had the memories of the prior girls. So that was how I first became introduced to reincarnation. And I'd never been really... A religious person my parents were very strict and I'd gone to and, and it was just too for me I don't really uh ring well with standardized religion I'm, I'm too much of a person who needs more um proof I suppose you could say so for me the bible didn't really do it and so I kind of wasn't really anything. I used to call myself basically atheist. But the minute I heard about reincarnation, I went, yeah, this rings true to me. And I think this is what I really believe in. So that was when my first interest in reincarnation started. With regards to the podcast, um, I've always believed in reincarnation. I've always been fascinated by it. And I was running um, some B&Bs in the hills during COVID. But when COVID happened, Unfortunately, we had to get out of them because, of course, people couldn't stay in cottages anymore or in any kind of B&B. Um, and I, I just was at a kind of loose end. We were in lockdown. I wanted to try and do something entrepreneurial. I've always wanted to do entrepreneurial stuff. I've always been someone who's been interested in that. And I went looking because we were, you know, home, nothing to do. I went looking for some um podcasts on reincarnation and I found one and I think you know of him Simon Bowen but there wasn't really much else out there that people were doing with regards to reincarnation at that time and I went well if I'm looking for an episode on it so must other people because I wanted to get a reincarnation uh, podcast where it covered the cases not just the kind of the spiritual aspect of it so I started just right um recording episodes where I covered the cases and then as I've gone along I've kind of also picked up some interviews and I've ended up becoming associated with Jim Matlock who is one of the major researchers really in reincarnation research at the moment and he has a forum called Signs of Reincarnation on Facebook if anyone's keen to have a listen and we cover the um, the reincarnation cases that are sort of covered under the research of Ian Stevenson and Jim Tucker. I don't know if you know who they are, but uh, they're actually the main sort of, um, I suppose you could say, the main forces in, in reincarnation, reincarnation research today. So Yes. Sorry, sorry, by the way, I had my mic muted and I was like, yes, I do know them. <laughs> 
Well, they're the, they're, their work is the sort of stuff that we actually kind of really focus on. And that's because um, children's memories are actually the purest form, in a sense, of reincarnation recall. They often happen when kids are like, two years old I mean they can happen before that children can actually be demonstrating that they're disturbed by having night terrors and things and then as they start to speak they'll start to say things like I remember I was living here and I died and I died this way you know and to me that blows me away because I can remember when I was a child not finding out about death until I was about six or seven and then of course I realized oh my god I'm going to die one day and I was terrified. But these kids are often talking about it from two or three. And they're talking about it in a matter of fact way. Oh, you know, I was living here and, you know, we did this and, uh, you know, a cart rolled over the top of me and I died and came to you or I died and went to somewhere else because they'll often talk about an inter what we call the intermission period, which is the in-between time between lives. So... And when I started looking at these cases, I looked at them and went, this just completely verifies and proves to me what I believe personally about reincarnation. And the more I look into it, the more it, it proves it to me. Well, I love the way that you go about it, too, because in your show, you actually you actually go through the case step by step, tell the story and you try to look at it really objectively. And, you know, there are there, there's kind of two sides to this whole entire thing right and then there's a there's a couple people that are in the middle like me um <laughs> but you've got the people that are like really far out there like people that are like i believe in the fairy realm and the angel realm and the dragon realm and that the earth is transitioning to 5d and all this stuff and then you have the people like you that are like and, and um you know like ian stevenson and jim tucker and um, I forget his name. You just brought him up his Facebook page. Jim, uh, Jim Matlock. Jim, Jim Matlock, him. Those people are like, we have to catalog this in a scientific way. So there's two sides to this. And then there's just like a handful of people that are like, yeah, and we're in the middle. Um, and I'm just kind of sharing, putting it out there, whatever people want to talk about. So I, I think that that your side is is actually really necessary for for this conversation as well, because there's a lot of people that need that proof. Yeah. Well, that's actually the reason why, um, as I, as I said, I kind of fell into the podcast, just wanted to do one because it, it was something that um, I was interested in, but as I went along, I've actually changed oh, the dogs carrying on. Can you hear in the background? Is she causing a problem? Nope, it's fine. Nope, okay. Um, as I went along, I kind of um, realised that what I was doing was actually important because for a couple of really a few different reasons when I look at it, the first one was as I went through the cases and was talking about the kids, I started realising that there's a lot of trauma to these memories and often children who have past life memories seem to remember very violent deaths and they can often really affect how they feel in this life. It can leave them with phobias. It can leave them with very traumatic memory. And when they talk to their parents about it, often the parents are kind of blown away by this and they go, I don't know what's going on here. And so they will often shut the child down. So I realised it's really important we start this dialogue for that. We need to, for a start, open up 
our thought processes about it and to kind of accept that if these children say these things, they're not saying it as imagination. They're not saying it as being, you know, trying to joke. It's serious to them. And you can hear that from the tone of their voice. Their tone of their voice is very matter of fact. They're not talking about it like, you know, how kids do when they talk about, oh, I want to be a princess and I've got to have a castle and they've got a sort of a sing song. These mm-hmm. kids will be just saying things like, I remember when I was with my other mummy and she, we didn't have enough food to eat and I floated away. Or they'll say something like that. And it's really very matter of fact, like they're just talking about any memory. So I thought that was important for a start for that. But the other thing that I started to realise too as I was going along is that I want to conserve the cases that are out there because there were a lot of cases that came out in the 70s and 80s and they're starting to disappear because there's all these other new cases coming over the top and I uh, the conservator in me feels it's a shame if we lose them because they're part of my history part of our history part of reincarnation's history so it's really important to conserve them so that they're there for people who want to explore reincarnation and who want to have a look at how far what it was like back then the problems it had back then because um the history of reincarnation in the Western world is very different to the history of reincarnation in say someone like India or Cambodia, or they're more, they're more accepting of it because for them, it's just part of their, that's what they understand life to be. It's kind of their culture almost for us. It's very different. And that's another reason why it's important to talk about it because in the Western world, because we are so, I don't mean to be awful, but we're materialistic and we tend to focus on things that we can see and things that we can, we often negate it and we kind of push it away. And I think it's important for it to be, to be spoken about so that it can open a dialogue on it. And the third most important part is we need that research to keep going on. You know, Ian Stevenson's already died. Erlinda Harrelson, who was another major researcher, died recently. You know, we're kind of in a group where the researchers are getting older you know it's it's and and so we need to start getting the message out there to try and encourage people who are younger to get into reincarnation or even any kind of sort of scientific research about paranormal things because um i still struggle with some aspects of the paranormal experiences out there but um when it comes to reincarnation and the kids I'm convinced it's genuine I'm convinced it's real and as you say I'm convinced that the the cases that come up from regression too there are definitely people out there who are getting up regression memories and I think most people do but it's just something you've got to be a bit careful with that's all yeah and a couple things just to kind of kind of touch on that you've brought up over that was when you when you have these kids talking about their their death. I mean, I don't know about you and I don't know about anybody else out there, but I do not talk about death to my child as a no. two-year-old child. Okay. I have not once brought up death or the concept of dying to my son. And something interesting that happened the other day was I was watching this show where this guy was, was about to die from a mortal wound and he saw his mother appear to him and my son he's he's almost three and he looks at the tv and then he goes his mom's not dead daddy and i looked at him with i I was shocked marilyn i said i said what did you just say and he said his mom's not dead see i was like what i was like how do you know what 
what dead means. And he just goes, I don't know. And then he walks away, just goes and like plays with his toys. So I, I have no idea how to explain that. Cause, cause he, his mom showed up earlier in a flashback and I was like, Oh, he's just hugging his mommy. That's all I said. That's all I said. And then he's like, his mom's not dead. So where does that concept of death comes from? Cause I know that most parents don't talk about death with their children. Exactly. And I'm, and I, and the thing is you find as you go along, especially when you're in the forum, you get people, there are dozens of people popping up saying, my child told me that when they were my mother, they didn't spank me or that, you know, they had to, that they had to change my diaper or, you know, kids will pop out these little sentences <laughs> destined to drive you insane, I'm sure. And, and, and then they'll kind of just wander off and that might be the only thing you ever hear of it. But to me, it points to that the memories are in all of us, that we actually, even though most of the population don't have reincarnation memories, they're there, they're in our brain and they do influence us in this life as much as they did in that life because I think one of the things that we've spoken about is um, regression is brilliant for helping people with healing with phobias and that's because when you live a life like that and you have something I mean you think about your own life if you think about the baggage that we pick up in this life from the experiences that we've had the same thing happened in the life before this and the life before that and the life before that so you're going to have people who are going to pick up phobias they're going to pick up even just dislikes of certain people or certain races or whatever because of what they've experienced in the past lives so you know, I really honestly think that that's what's happening. Yeah. And, you know, when, when the kids talk about it, unfortunately, and, you, and this is another thing you kind of brought up, you didn't really touch on it. Um, I'm not afraid to go in on it hard, but a lot of parents will shut their kids down. And it's because, in my opinion, of the religion part of it, you know, in the Western yeah. civilization, we we a lot of us have been raised Catholic or Methodist or Baptist or in my case, Mormon and, and Christian, Christian religions look and, and, you know, um, similar religions out there. They look at this life as a one and done. So you get one chance, you get one chance. That's just a blink of an eye in, in the grand scheme of things to, to prove that you're there for God. And if you're not there for God, then you get to go to hell. And it's just like, okay, yeah, but God loves you, right? I don't think so, in my opinion. But that's kind of why, and and I, I you may can tell I, might, I have some feelings. But anyway, um, that's, I think, why people kind of shut that down. It's because they're like, oh, we're not supposed to talk about that. We're not supposed to talk about that, and we're not supposed to believe that because the Bible doesn't say that. And that's where the problem that you've got that comes in for me with regards to religion I think religion is a good thing if, for, for people if it gives them a strong moral code to follow and if they gain a sense of um, faith or acceptance or happiness in their life. I think religion can be a beautiful thing. But the trouble that we have with religion is that it also builds a lot of fear because people become afraid of bucking the church. They become afraid of anything mm -hmm. that might change their mindset on what actually happens. And my view of it is if you have a religion or a belief, my belief is reincarnation. I'm willing to question that and challenge that at any point because what is the point in believing something that is not true? 
So right, right. And I, I'm sorry to interrupt you there. No, that's I, fine. I, I'm in the same book. I'm in the same boat. I mean, um, as far as is like questioning your beliefs go, it, in that religious space, you're you can't do that because, like you said, it's fear. Ultimately, what I want people to the reason I want people to move away from religion is, is because I want people to basically realize that you don't have to subjugate yourself to this God where, because this God that you're trying to find is within you. So really what you have to have faith in is yourself. That's what I think is it for me, but um, yeah. I think that's very true. I mean, we kind of spoke a little bit before we started about about um, guardian angels and spirits and things like that. I think when you're talking about God and you're talking about religion and you're talking about reincarnation, to be honest, I think we're actually all talking about the same thing. It's just the terminology. But I don't believe that on the other side there is any kind of uh, retribution. I don't believe in karma because I don't believe that there is any system there that says, right, you stuffed up in this life, so I'm going to punish you in the next one. I don't think it works that way at all. I think what happens is, I mean, if you think about your own life here, that there are things we all build as we go along. There's always something that you're going to be remorseful about or regretful about or you wish you did differently. And those things can pluck at you in a quiet moment. You can sit there and feel in It'll pop back into your head and you'll go, wish I hadn't done that, you know. I think that's what happens. When we get on the other side, I think our own sense of we know when we stuffed up, we know when we did it right, we know when we didn't. And I think that is the only retribution and that's what we learn from. So why would you have to have yet another system built in whereby someone else comes along, canes you on the wrist and says, oh, you did that wrong, so I'm going to send you this back this time to be a murder victim or I'm going to send you back this time to have an abusive relationship. You know, I don't believe that's how it works at all. I think that uh, from what from what I've seen from the research, Surprisingly, the children often do talk about they that they pick their parents. So one of the things that comes up in the forum a lot is people go, well, why would I have picked my parents? Because they're a nightmare, you know. Well, my own upbringing was pretty rough as well. And I actually started out and I was adopted. And, you know, I asked myself a lot when I found this, this sort of, and it comes up in the research so much, it must be true. Most kids describe, I saw my parents walking on the beach and I liked them, so I came to them. You know, and then there's other things called announcing dreams, which can happen, which is where a child will see someone and come to them in a dream and say, I'm going to come to you as your child. And often the parent will be like, I don't want you to. And it's like, tough, I'm coming, you know, and it will happen. And there's (laughs) cases like that quite frequently. Now, this is from someone who never used to believe in anything spiritual, right? And and yet I've had to I've had to accept that this is what happens because there's too many cases in too many from all over the world of people saying this. If it was something that was limited to one culture or you know or it was different across the the different cultures, then I would say okay, this is something that's a, some weird anomaly to that culture. But when you look at reincarnation um, practices or beliefs right around the world. They're remarkably similar given we have very different lifestyles. So, you know, I think that's um, a good indicator to me that it really, really does happen this way. Um, And again, I've lost my train of thought. (laughs) I forgot where I was going with it. But um, 
but yeah, I think that's that's fine. Yeah, but I do think that um, you know when you look at that, then then you have to look at it and go, well, this is this is sort of how it works. So yeah, and the thing is, is there is evidence to support it. Like you, you did this case called of Lugity Devi, or however you mm. say it. It's it's a weird. I have, that's not like a sound I'm used to making. So Lugity Devi. No, it's actually anyway. spelled like Lugdi. But when I actually, because I'm, I try and be very respectful of people's cultures, and I, I like to pronounce the words as as correctly as I can. So when I actually looked it up, it, it is actually said Lugadi Devi. So I had to do the same. And I tell you what, I did a lot of records over that one because I kept on stuffing it up. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but that case is absolutely a phenomenal case, and it's probably one of the most early proven cases it's and it's amazing. bizarre mm, it's, it it's just bizarre. bizarre so anybody who's listening go check that episode out i don't know i'll um yeah, let's go check it out i don't know do you know what episode it is marilyn that you did it on uh i can find out for you uh one sec but it is an amazing episode because it is probably the first one of the first for those of you who don't know it just as a, a quick overview it is a little girl who was born in one city who remembered living the life of a young married woman in another city. When she was a child, she related a lot of facts about it. Um, and before, before she even knew who the person was, she knew in herself who she was. She could picture the person who she was. She didn't really know a name, I don't think. Um, but when, when, um, the information came up she she kept wanting to go back to I think it was Agra she kept wanting to go back to Agra to try and find her family in the end it ended up being that she provided a lot of information word got out and I think it was Mahatma Gandhi wanted to check and see if these details could be corroborated so he put together like a committee of learned men of the time and they all went back to Agra and she was able to prove point after point after point after point she could lead them right to the house she showed them in a room that she had where she'd spoken about having left money and she could show them where the hole was the husband had actually since found it and basically spent it but it was still had been there. Um, she was able to identify her parents' house. She walked in. She was able to talk to her parents and tell them. It was just incredible. And all of this was proven because right in front of all these learned people. So it's an amazing case. And uh, you should, yeah, have a listen to it or check it out on the net if, you, if you're not really sort of keen to. Because it was a long episode. I think I ended up doing a double episode on that one. Um, but I'll just find it for you. Hang on a tick. <laughs> Shanty Devi and Lugity Devi were my episodes 18 and 19. So, but they really are worth a good listen because I was lucky and I found a book that had actually been written in sort of partnership with um, with Shanty Devi, which, um, and this is, brings me back to why I want to re, re um, to conserve these cases because Lugadi Devi and Shanti Devi is a case that you'll often find on the net, but it doesn't discuss at all and it doesn't go into a lot of detail and then you get a lot of people putting their own spin on things and it sort of veers away from the truth. So what I try to do when I find the episodes is get the purest source I can and then I then just kind of, you know, drill down on that and try and cut out all of the uh other dross that sort of ends up floating in on them right. so yeah and it's so like i said give 
give that a listen if you guys are interested. It's a reincarnation past lives revisited episode 18 and episode 19. Really, really compelling evidence of reincarnation. It's actually pretty much a firsthand account as well from Shanti Devi. So check that out. Um, the next thing that I wanted to talk to you about, Marilyn, is we were kind of talking about regression and we mentioned it a little bit earlier in the episode, but I would like to get your, cause you bring up some really good points. And as a, I, I don't even call it, like I told you earlier, I don't call it regression anymore. I call it spiritual hypnosis just because of, <laughs> of how weird it gets sometimes, <laughs> but I would like to hear your take on regression. Cause I think it's really important to have it's almost like a like a reality check if you will your perspective i actually like that that you say that it's a reality check because i think that that is something that with regard to regression is crucially important you'll see a lot of people will come on the forum and and they'll come in and say oh i had a regression done and and this is that they found this and this and this and this and this and this and they won't check any of those facts and they take them as being gospel the problem that we have with regression um, with regard to memory recall is that the mind if you if you ask some first for a start if you ask someone a direct question and I say where did you live what was what did your house look like when you live then your mind might not have that information but because it wants to provide the story and it wants to you know it, we want to be helpful it will say oh it was a red house when actually it wasn't a red house at all you know you, you you might have lived somewhere completely different so what happens is you can your mind can do a thing called cryptomnesia which is where it takes facts that it's buried that it's you've learned say growing up and that you've forgotten about and it will then overlay them over the the regression memories. And the problem with that is that you'll end up getting, say, maybe it could be anything from 20% to 80% that are true regression memories, but then you'll have this other percentage of it that aren't true. And if you have that happen, the problem that happens with that is that then people who don't believe in reincarnation and who don't believe in regression therapy will turn around and go well that's a lie because I can prove you wrong in this and I can prove you wrong in that another good case to listen to um, and one that I actually believed was false for up until two years ago was the Bridie Murphy case you've probably heard of it Bridie Murphy was the Virginia Ty and Maury Bernstein who were um, basically people in the 50s who lived in uh, Pueblo in California Maury was interested in reincarnation he started um, regressing Virginia to try and see if she could remember anything from a past life before this life and it was the first time really it was tried in the west the problem was um, most of Virginia's memories frighteningly most of Virginia's memories were spot on and she had really amazing local knowledge so she would she would recall things but instead of if you were say someone who she recalled a life in Ireland she recalled being a woman that she called Bridie Murphy who was married to Brian they lived in County Cork and then they finally moved up to Belfast and she relates basically her life and it's not an exciting life it's just basically the life of a housewife but because it was the first case that was really covered in the west Maury 
started it started to seep out as he was doing this he didn't have time to do a lot of research on it and so the skeptics all jumped on it when when he released the book some facts were proven but most of them weren't really touched on when he released the book the skeptics went crazy and they said this is all crap because that's not true and that's not true and that's not true they picked about four or five points and they claimed that Bridie got her memories from a woman who lived over the road called Mrs. Corkle, who'd grown up in, which one was it? It wasn't Cork. It was one of the other, one of the other provinces. It was nothing to do with Cork or Belfast. And they claimed that Virginia Ty got all of these memories from her. And that's how it kind of stood. It was debunked again by people who did believe the case, but unfortunately the case was then permanently tainted because most people thought it was uh, false, false, that it was just Virginia's imagination. One of the um, people that I'd interviewed before on my podcast said to me, do a, do a, uh, you should look into the Bridie Murphy case. And I went, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Wasn't madly keen. And I went, mm. all right, fair enough. I'll do this for the sake of accuracy. So, and to, to actually, go conclusively yes I believe this is the case or conclusively no I don't well when I started researching it I went down the rabbit hole and I swear I researched it for a solid three months or more I got sick to death of looking at Ireland and if I ever see it again I'll I'll be happy not to and but (laughs) it was amazing the things that I found now Virginia remembered that uh, Bridie grew up in County Cork. She had a lot of information that related only to County Cork. And then she said they moved to Belfast. She had a lot of information that related only to Belfast. She had information about Antrim, which is near Belfast, and they went on a holiday there. But she didn't have really much knowledge about the rest of Ireland. She knew bits and pieces, which I found quite intriguing because if you're someone who's sort of fascinated by Ireland, you might have a general broad knowledge of Ireland, you know, but if you're someone who is relating your memories, you generally only have like information about your own life. I can talk about Melbourne and Ballarat because I've lived there a lot. I'd be less willing or good at talking about Sydney because I've been there once, you know. So what happened with her, um, with her, I started researching it and I, two things completely blew me away. One of the things that the sceptics said was that Bridie um, called her, said that Sean was in the church, he was a Catholic, which at the time was kind of not a good thing. And um, she said that in the church he was called Sian. Sian? Yes, yeah, Sian. She said he was called Sian. Well, the skeptics jumped on that and said, well, how come she's not saying Sean? She even spelled it out. It was Sean. Why is she not, doesn't know how to say Sean? That's ridiculous. She then said, oh, I played the liar, but instead of calling it the liar, she called it the leer, right? And um, things like that, people went, no, see, it's a load of rubbish. She said that um, that uh, he went to St. Teresa's church and St. Teresa's church there was no St. Teresa's Church at the time. It couldn't possibly have been, you know. So there are all these things that the sceptics jumped on and went, well, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. So when we come back to, um, with regards to the bit about Siam, I found out in the literally the last five minutes of doing the research, I was sitting there listening to a site um, that was 
pronouncing names in Irish Gaelic because when Virginia was remembering her memories in the 50s, Irish Gaelic was pretty much a dead language. It was almost people were saying it's going to be gone within 20 years. No one speaks it. No one's going to be speaking it, right? So they were saying it's, it's a dead language. So there's no way that Virginia could have known it. I was sitting there listening to a, a, a site that was talking about, um, you know, Irish names in Irish Gaelic, and I was listening for another name for another person that would have been in the podcast. And as I'm sitting there, the woman said, Brian in Irish Gaelic is Brian. And I went, oh, what? <laughs> because I remembered Sian Brian. Uh, he was being called Brian in Irish Gaelic, which there is no possible way Virginia Ty could have known because it was a dead language at the time she was around. Right. And then when, yeah, and then when I looked up liar, it was the same. And it was that, uh, you know, liar in County Cork, there's three ways you can say liar in Ireland. In one part of it, they call it a leer. In another part of it, they call it a, a liar. And in the other part, they call it a la. And she she calls it a Lear, which is the exact pronunciation for County Cork, which is where she grew up. So for those sides of it, she was amazingly accurate. However, there were also parts where cryptomnesia came into play, and that was the problem. And this is the problem with hypnotic regression because she remembered that he went to St. Teresa's church. Well, there was no St. Teresa church. But when Murray asked the question, he said to her, which church did he go to? So her mind at the time didn't have an answer. So it plucked St. Teresa's because in, in Pueblo, or this is what I think happened, in Pueblo at the time there were two St. Teresa's. And so her mind wanting to supply an answer said St. Teresa's. There was another part where she spoke of playing a, a board game or a game with her brother that sounds remarkably like a game that's from Northern America called... Um, pegs and squares or something I can't remember I mentioned it in the podcast and um, it's got the same rules so I'm, I'm assuming that was also another example of cryptomnesia so if you're talking about regression to pull up memories it's extremely important that every single fact you need to write down every single fact that you remember and you then need to research it did that really happen? Is that really how it was? You know, can I find a person? If you can find a person that your life relates to, then you can pretty much consider that to be a verifiable case. But the other thing is too, you can't go by a general appearance. You can't go, oh, well, I looked a lot like Abraham Lincoln, so I must have been Abraham Lincoln because that's not really proof when you think about in real life today, you have doppelgangers who people who look exactly identical have no connection to each other. You need to get those facts and you need to drill down on those facts and check them to make sure that what you're remembering really genuinely is relevant and also happened in the place that you remember being. So, yeah, and that brings up the question that I brought up before in past life, like talking to other past life regression practitioners is asking leading questions. If you're going to do this for the sake of proving it, and actually probably in general, I would say it's not very good to ask leading questions. Like, like, especially the one, like, which church did you go to? It'd be much more appropriate to ask, are you in a church? 
Yes, or exactly. Did he go exactly. to a church? Um, like for example, I, I did a regression for, for someone where they remember being a crocodile and I said, where are you? And they're like, I'm in a swamp. And I was like, okay, so are you like on earth or are you somewhere else? And that gives them like, an, oh, it's an open question is really what it is because it's like, if you're on earth, like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in Florida. Right. Or I'm in Africa or whatever, where we know crocodiles are. And she's like, no, this doesn't look anything like earth. There's like weird stuff around. Okay. That lets me narrow it down back to what I was saying, asking leading questions, not good. Right. Exactly. Uh, And another thing, like one other thing that you brought up in that is she was talking about this, like, it's like a butter, like a compound butter that they would like, it's like peat butter or bog butter or yeah, Firkin, like that. Firkin, Firkin butter. That was the other one that blew yeah. me away. Basically, Firkin butter. Um, Bridie, Bridie asked Murray just off the bat, have you ever tried Firkin butter? And so I did a bit of a look around and I went, hell, there is such a thing. Because um, it's basically a butter that they, they take. <laughs> it's quite fascinating when you hear this. And it was around in, in, in the time of Bridie Murphy, but not any other time. But it's basically a, a, a butter that they, they mix with. I think it was, might have been with garlic or it might have been just the butter itself, but they press it into like a wooden bucket with a lid and then they'll bury it in the peat bog. And that actually has some kind of chemical reaction on the butter, turns it into something that doesn't look, according to what I've seen, doesn't look anything like butter but uh, and has a completely different consistency. But it was kind of a delicacy at the time. And I'm like, well, how did Virginia Tai, a woman who lives in Pueblo, California, know that? Because I hadn't heard of it either. And I'm actually more from an English background than she is. So you'd think if anyone heard of it, it would be someone from, I'd never heard of it. You know, it's like, how the hell? <laughs> yeah. And, and it, and it had been like, nobody had been making it around that time either. Like it was like extinct, basically, almost like the Gaelic language. Exactly. There were, the uh, Firkin butter ended up being, um, ceased being made not long after, um, Bridie Murphy sort of claims that she died so it was around that time but it was definitely there in her lifetime so she would have she she sort of would have experienced it I think she said something about her grandfather used to make it and the only reason that we know about it is because there have been quite a few archaeological digs where this firkin butter has been unearthed from the peat bogs and there's quite a few examples of it in museums in probably the UK and Ireland I'd imagine Um, but yeah so (laughs) how does that happen? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating. I love when people pull that stuff up, like like come out of these regressions with with these verifiable facts. However, Marilyn, I will tell you up front that I used to kind of be in the same position. And a lot of people are um that are wanting to do this work and that are doing this kind of thing, like actually regressing people, they are not concerned with proving it. And I have kind of moved away from that as well, because it almost like, let me, let me give you an an example. I feel it kind of detracts from the therapeutic side of things. If we're trying to prove it all the time, because I kept on trying, like in my early days when I was trying to prove it kind of like what you're talking about, like I was trying to get those verifiable facts. I regressed my brother and he stepped into this personality called Breck Stevens. And he's like, my name's Breck Stevens. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. And we got like, a street name and, and uh, I can't like all this stuff. 
and he was able to name like his 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 wife and how many brothers and sisters he had and and I was like I was trying to nail down like a house number on the street and I was like do you, do you have the house number do you have the house number like over and over like throughout the regression and he just stops me and he's like why is that important and I had no answer I was like I don't know like that's a good question why is it important and so I've kind of found like doing this work and, and trying to help people feel better. Cause that's really what it's about for me. And a lot of us practitioners is like helping people to feel better is, is like digging for that proof is almost detracts from like the therapeutic part of it, if that makes sense. So I've kind of moved away from trying to prove it. Well, it's actually interesting that you say that um, for two reasons. And in the forum, we will frequently say a lot, you'll get people come in and go, oh, I want to do a past life memory and I want to try and see if I can recall my past lives. And we always recommend to them, you know, really it's better if you don't because a lot of the memories come with a lot of trauma and a lot of pain. They can be very unsettling. I mean, it's not easy to watch yourself being burnt at the stake or beheaded or stabbed by someone you know it can be quite traumatic and when you look at a lot of the cases a lot of them the ones that have strong past life memories often remember a very traumatic and violent death or you know so we actually recommend that you know if you don't have the memories really seek them at your own risk because you could end up regretting it and we make that point very strongly because I think that's the point. I think what you're saying is exactly right. Where regression really comes into its own and where it excels is it is amazing for helping people with things like traumas and phobias from past life. And in that sense, hypnotic regression is brilliant. Yeah, traumas and phobias and also like other things too. So like behavior too. If you just don't know where a behavior comes from and you want to check it out, a lot a lot of the times I've found that, like I always say, regardless of whether or not it's real, it's a real experience. I'm going to have to put that on a t-shirt because it's true. You know, even if your mind is making up a complete, completely different random scenario just to justify this behavior, it gives you something to look into and it gives you a place like an origin because as humans, we need an origin uh, for, for stuff. Like we don't, we, we just don't, don't really exist well in thinking of things just showing up out of nowhere. So for like behaviors and things too, if you're just curious about it, if you want to connect with your, with yourself, and even if you want to do just like a, a hypnotic journey, you know, this stuff can actually be really helpful and really um, relaxing too. It's, it's very therapeutic. Yeah, I'd agree with that too. And I think I think I think it's very wise of you to mention about things like behaviors. Like when we get into these patterns of destructive behavior, you know, where we pick we pick people who might be um violent or we pick people who are, you know, closed off and so we constantly end up in these relationships that fail, things like that. I think often that can be related to experiences from the past. And I can relate to that from my own life, from my past in this life I can actually see and I worked out as I was going along some of the patterns that I was doing and it was because of the past you know and I'm like I worked that out myself but a lot of people struggle to be that introspective or or it's hard to sometimes find out the path of how do I start to find that out and I think that's where regression can be amazing because it allows you to do it in a safe and supported environment in a way. 
yeah, the other angle to it too is that it's hard to be hard on yourself. Okay. People don't like doing it. People yes. don't like to be to admit that they're wrong. Like the ego is huge. And what regression is really good at is it's really, really good at allowing you to step outside of yourself and say, okay, for example, if, if we were doing a regression on you, let's just say we go through a past life and you lived a past life as a very wealthy woman who spent all of her money on herself and you not that I'm saying you are, but you feel that you're selfish in this life, right? So, okay, you ask this wealthy woman who lived this past life is, is very wealthy. What can Marilyn do in order to not feel so selfish, right? And then at that point, you can almost like lay into yourself without any guilt or any or feeling any guilt. Because at that point, you're not Marilyn. You're this wealthy woman who lived 200 years ago. Well, that's a good point. I, I've never really... Um, done regression for any kind of phobias or anything like that so I didn't really know how you did it so that's actually a really really good point because I think the thing that's hardest I mean as I said I kind of mentioned my life was a little difficult at the start and I was lucky enough because of the experiences I had and the people that I had around me they made me start to ask why why do I do this? Why does my mother do this? Why does my, why did this happen? You know, and it's asking why that I think is one of the most important questions we can ask ourselves. But most people don't ask themselves why. They just keep saying, why does this happen to me? It's, which is a different thing. Why does this happen to me? Why, I must have killed a busload of nuns, you know. Why does this happen to me? Instead of looking at what is the actual pathway back to what happened to me to make me feel this way or to make me do this? If you can ask yourself that, it's a huge thing. And I think that's where regression can really help. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 100% just, just stepping outside yourself. And, and it's really interesting it's, when it happens to you, you're just like, you come out of it and you're like, wow, that's a, I didn't know that I thought, felt that way about myself. So it's, it's really interesting. And if anybody wants to try it for my audience listening, I have interviewed a ton of practitioners and I've got even more interviews backed up in the queue. I'm going to release for practitioners. So feel free to listen to them. And if any, you feel drawn to any of them, reach out to them. They're really great. Um, and this kind of also leads me to Marilyn. You have a wonderful podcast. I love the work that you're doing. If you don't mind, just, plugging it and talking about your actual podcast where people can find you if you have a website or a blog what do you got going on oh thank you so much for saying that I really really appreciate it because it's something that I really value I mean it's taken I, I started it out not doing that I started out thinking of it as being something might be fun to do but as I've gone along I've come to realize that it is something that is important to me so it's reincarnation past lives revisited is the podcast I cover the cases more of the children and some regression cases but as I say the ones that are really solidly proven I don't cover cases that are can't be proven because for me it's about providing people with that um the trust to believe in reincarnation in a way there's a lot of people out there who dive bomb it and who don't believe it and who think it's just people deluding themselves and I think it's really important to be able to add another dialogue to that and say well you tell me what's happening then because this is what I'm seeing you know so I have got um, 
our website, which is completely terrible. So please don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to fix that up. I've got to do something with it. But um, you'll mainly find me on Facebook. Um, I'm in Signs of Reincarnation with Jim Matlock. If anyone wants to sort of look at the more um, kind of logical approach to it or the scientific approach to it, that's what's certainly covered in Signs of Reincarnation. Um, and but I will warn you that we kind of don't go into the spiritual aspect of it at all because what we're trying to do is get a voice out there for the scientific study of it. So it's, you know, you won't hear about spirit mediums or the Akashic record or anything like that. That's not saying we don't believe in them. That's just saying that at the moment they can't be demonstrated in the research. So we stay away from that. But I also have my own Facebook page there for the um, for reincarnation past lives revisited and I'll put on there the episodes as well and you know a bit of a blurb about it so if anyone wants to put a comment about it or ask me a question about any of the episodes you can find me there and uh yeah hopefully you'll have a listen and enjoy it perfect you know and and as always links to all that stuff is going to be in the description of this episode so go head over to Marilyn's podcast and her facebook page check her out give her some support it's really important work that she's doing and Marilyn, i hate to put you on the spot but do you happen to have some kind of a message for my listeners i think the message that i take from all of this is um well for a start seize your dream if you want to do something go out and give it a try because starting the podcast is probably one of the best things i've ever done and it's been such a wonderful journey for me but the other thing i would say is stop worrying so much about life and basically um don't worry about death don't worry about you know life or or how it's going because you know i think this is all planned and there's a reason for it all and you know, um, I think it's really important to recognize that life is actually a precious gift. And even if it's not in a great place for you at the moment, that can change and it will change because life never stays the same. So hang in there and try not to worry too much. That's a beautiful answer, Marilyn. Well, thank you so much for coming onto my podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This has been amazing. I've loved it. That's it for today's episode. I'd like to thank Marilyn for coming onto the show, and I would also like to thank you for tuning in. Head on over to my Facebook or my Twitter for some bonus content that I'm I'm going to force myself to start posting at least every other day if I can, and also um, show updates. So like when this episode was late, that's kind of where I talked about the show being late, so you can get show updates there. Also, I would really appreciate you guys leaving me a review and a good rating on Apple Podcasts if you listen on Uh, apple or spotify or anything like that it would really help me get the show out to more people and really help me to accomplish my goal of providing a platform for people to talk about this stuff if you want to come on the show to talk about your past life experience or your knowledge on any metaphysical topic shoot me an email my email is the regression session at gmail.com and i would love to have you on the show What superpower would you choose if you could choose one? That's a good question. Um, 
it wouldn't be a strength thing. It would be a healing thing. I'd, I'd like to be able to heal people or I'd like to be able to talk to animals. I've got to say, either of those two. Oh, yeah. What, what animal would you want to talk to? Well, I just find um, animals are such beautiful little souls. And I really honestly believe that animals, particularly dogs and cats, because we're so connected with them, are actually sent from the universe or whatever you want to call it. Um for when we're going through difficult periods in our lives because I actually found that with my dog I I was always a cat person I'd never had a dog of my own then I got with a partner who wanted a dog and so we bought a dog and then of course we broke up and he was like yeah I don't want the dog so I took her and it was the best thing that ever happened to me because it was an extreme I've just been through a pretty what I would say extremely difficult 10 years of my life you know just difficult things to deal with and if I hadn't had Kessie I honestly don't know how I would have got through and I think that's how I came to the idea that um, I think she was sent to me but it's also because she was a pound dog and so she had a lot of trauma in her the start of her life so she's neurotic as anything she's as neurotic as hell and um she's got like multiple issues she's really high maintenance but i just adore her and i'd love to be able to talk to kessie and say chill out i'm not going anywhere i'm not sending you back to the pound we're together forever you know so <laughs> things like that i have a cat named aspen and i if i talk to him i'm pretty sure he would just look at me and tell me to fuck off <laughs> <laughs> Now that all that's done, here is my... Well... (laughs)